Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today, wherever you are in the world? I hope that life is treating you well. I hope that you are all well and that somehow, somewhere, one day soon, we shall all be reunited again in better times, in hopeful times. And one of the strangest things, I suppose, in this life is that place called home, the place that we all search for and some of us find, and some of us are on this continual eternal journey on finding where we belong. And I know personally, For me, I realized that I don't really belong anywhere. And I realized that as a child, because we traveled a lot. And I thought to myself, you know, wherever you are, you bring yourself, as they say. So home is really where you feel at peace with, whether that be in Timbuktu, in the States, in England, wherever that is. But that elusive place is usually inside of us. And it's the acceptance of who we are. Because I believe truly, once we accept ourselves in every aspect, you know, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, however it is, as a whole, we have then found that place called home. Now, I have an absolutely fantastic guest, I have to say to you. I know all my guests are fantastic, but in today's episode, I'm rather excited, I have to say, because this guest is very unusual and rather delightful and, shall we say, a little mysterious. And he goes by the name of Beach Sloth. Yes. Now, this is his professional alias and how he likes to be known. And also he does a lot of work under this name. And I can't reveal to you who it is because that's a secret and secrets can't be told. So, but that doesn't matter because I know like every single one of us, everything that's mysterious is usually very interesting and powerfully beautiful. And today's guest, Beachy, is no exception. Now, Beachy is a music blogger and an author who has written several books of experimental literature, poetry, and short stories. 
His work has appeared on Entropy as the music editor and main music writer there, on Dennis Cooper's blog, a famous transgressive writer, and multiple pieces within the Dostoevsky wannabe press. Beachy has received attention from various news outlets like The Guardian, CBS Chicago, among many, many others. His day job, though, is what he describes as where he can achieve enlightenment. Via tedium a la David Foster, Wallace's The Pale King. And this describes really where a government bureaucrat is able to physically levitate off the ground while crunching numbers. Wow. That's rather mysterious in itself, and I'm sure he will tell us a little bit more about that. This has also bizarrely been documented, as his dear friend Olivia Lilly once wrote, a one-act play based on his career choice, one of extreme tedium, lots of numbers, and arcane regulation. Essentially, he works in contract review and all that that entails. Absolutely fascinating, and you will be so delighted to listen to him. He is a labyrinth of information. And I'm very delighted to welcome Beachy. Welcome, dear Beachy. Thank you. That was an absolutely fantastic intro. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you approved, Beachy. <laughs> I well, made you sound a little bit like 007 now, haven't I? I think so. I think so. And I'm just a mere bureaucrat trying to make it in the world. <laughs> so he says, I have to say to the listeners, so he says. <laughs> now, thank you so much, Beachy, for joining me today. It's really a pleasure and an honour to welcome you. Likewise. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Um, I do appreciate the podcast series. I find it incredibly soothing. I've listened to a few of your other uh, episodes and I found them absolutely delightful. So it does seem you have a particular fondness for music. So that's also very good since that's pretty much my bread and butter, so to speak. Um, yes, mm -hmm. I do indeed. Um, when I, I was looking over the episodes and thank you very much for saying such kind words about the podcast series. We really i mean it i have such amazing guests and predominantly actually there is a lot of musicians and um singers and violinists and pianists and such like so i think you will fit in nicely there amongst that because music is something that's very dear to your heart isn't it yeah so I grew up with music. I guess I'll start from the very earliest traces before beach sloth even existed as an idea. Um, so I come from a very long line of musicians and a musical family. So my grandfather taught Western classical music um, in China in the 1940s and early 50s. And then uh, he moved to India to continue that process um, in the 1950s. So he taught, was, he taught classical music, he played multiple instruments, um, and some of that was uh, passed down to my father. Uh, my father uh, plays 
piano wonderfully. He, his particular fondness is for Chopin over all other. Mm -hmm. Chopin is a, is a true pianist's pianist. So mm. um, he was particularly fond of that. And he played it in our very small cottage in uh, New York City. So New York doesn't have very large real estate. So he had a particularly small home and he had a whole grand piano in this absolutely minuscule postage stamp of a house, which is very funny. Um, but he played beautifully and he always filled the house with music. And even as like a young child, I remember always being overwhelmed at how wonderful it is. Um, I grew up almost exclusively listening to classical music. And, um, and that would either be at home or at church or wherever else we would be. I don't think I heard anything but classical music until maybe I was nine or 10. And I think I didn't even know rock existed until later than that. So the first music I listened to besides classical was oddly techno of all things. So I listened to electronic music. So I went from so, so it's a very different path than I think a lot of other people would have taken or have mm. taken, where you grow up listening to, you know, wheels on the bus. So my parents like obsessed with Tchaikovsky, uh, Chopin, Debussy, all these other composers. So I listened to that. And when I first heard techno, it was like completely overwhelming, but it felt closer in a way than rock did to classical music, at least the stuff that I listened to. And I sort of grew up listening to classical and electronic. And then eventually I listened to some rock, though I would say even to this day, my diet is more classical and electronic and experimental music than it is rock based, which is, I guess, a bit unusual for um I guess any person, <laughs> I, I think like yes. rock, rock is just so heavily marketed and it never, and I like it, but I always ended up liking the moodier or more textured stuff. So mm -hmm. I think people have told me like, you don't really listen to lyrics, do you? And I'm like, the voice is another instrument within the mix to me. So I've always been fascinated as vocals as sort of maybe a percussive element or an element of like shoegaze. Um, and I find that more fascinating than they're like, well, what are they saying? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and sometimes it does strike me like with, with rap music, it is the predominant feature. And with rap music, I will pay attention to the lyrics, but with rock music, if it's, if it's not someone who I'm really, really fond of or who I think will really do it for me, then uh, I just kind of like tune it out to some degree. Um, and I feel like Beach Sloth kind of grew off of that impulse. So the first time I decided I needed to do this or that I wanted to, um, mm. I was sitting on the North shore of Long Island I'm right outside St. James, which is in Suffolk County in uh, the New York City metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of like sitting on the beach with a couple of friends and they and I was talking about some random obscure um, composer that I was really fond of. Um, and they were like, you should just start a blog. <laughs> like, I don't think they even meant it as an insult, you know, where you kind of 
talk a lot and they're like save it for your blog <laughs> like they meant it as like a form of encouragement like you should do this like you could meet other musicians or other like-minded folks so i started it um in 2010 and then 2011 i had my first book that was actually probably the most directly musical book and that sort of documented my experience growing up in uh New York City, sort of the concerts I saw there, how I felt about them, how they moved me. Um, the first concert I went to was when I was 16. So, and it was a really weird experimental concert. It wasn't like seeing the Beach Boys or Rolling Stones. I think I saw uh, Richard Cartier, who was this very lowercase sound musician. So he was into hyper minimalism. And it was and I was so young that um, I went into the concert hall and they're like, do you have any form of ID? And I'm like, oh, I don't. I have a library card. And they were like, okay, this is odd. <laughs> and they were like, how young are you? And I was like, I'm 16. And they're like, well, we serve alcohol here. And I'm like, don't worry, I'm not a drinker. And they're like, you can't even legally drink until you're 21 anyway. And I'm like, well, that's going to be the case, you know, after I turn 21 too. <laughs> this is very silly. Um, and that was my first concert. So I, I was very interested in all this strange stuff. And I think it was the internet that brought it to me. Um, and I guess living in New York City, I was exposed to a lot of cultural centers, a lot of people would not have been, and I really liked living there too. It was it influenced a lot of my a lot of my first books were written when I was living in New York City, and I loved it as a result. I I loved writing about my experiences there. I love the city itself. I still do. I do, I haven't lived in New York for a number of years now, but it's still very close to my heart. And if someone ever talks about New York pizza or the bagels or how gross the subway is. I always have like particular fondness for that. So even the grimy bits of it, which I know a lot of people don't really like how dirty New York City is. And it's a very, mm -hmm. very dirty city. And um, one of my friends completely lacks a sense of smell. And they're like, and they're like, why is everyone holding their nose in the subway car? And I'm like, it's because the smell is awful. And they're like, I can't smell. And I'm like, well, this is a great city for you then. <laughs> <laughs> and does it really smell that bad? It really does. It really does. Um, and it's all over the place. Sometimes it'll smell of pizza or of like food. And that's great. But a lot of times it's just, you know, mm. stuff needs to be cleaned. And there's 10 million people living there. And finding the schedule and time and money and resources to do it is pretty much impossible because it's a 24-7 city. It doesn't go to sleep the way other cities do. So it's kind of always up and always like writhing with activity and it's fantastic. The city uh, that never sleeps. It really is. And I don't think I slept much there either. Um, and I would say uh, one of the books that kind of like first showed me leaving New York was when I wrote, I want to YouTube down the rivers of America. And that was written in New York City, but also um, in my in the first place I lived outside of New York, and that was Baltimore. Mm. And I want to say some fine words for the the charm city. 
Um, Baltimore is best known for its portrayal in The Wire, which is a crime drama and I feel does somewhat of a disservice to the city because it's a real. It has a lot of problems. It has crime. It has corruption up to a point where it's like almost impossible to believe. But it's also a beautiful city. It's a city that has maintained the architectural significance it had in the 18th and 19th century. You can see homes there that are left virtually untouched from one to 200 years ago, and it's a very old city. And it's very beautiful. Um, a lot of brick, um, a lot of cobblestone, and a lot of crab, and a lot of um, old bay spice, which is a spice that is so prevalent there. They have a they have a store there that only sells old bay spice and nothing else. That's the only thing Ooh, they sell, wow. and it does it does really well. Like it's a very it's always busy, and I'm like, how much of this would you need? But they put it on everything. <laughs> they put it on things that don't even make sense. They put it on French fries. They put it on wings. They put it on like all this on salad. It's really bizarre. They're just so fond of it. And it's, and I really liked living there. It was such a beautiful time. And that was when I started being coming part of an onlit, online literary scene called Alt Lit. Um, and mm -hmm. It was just kind of a way for people to write online to get instant feedback. And that was fantastic. I was able, I, I basically just hand delivered a lot of my books to people directly. And then. Um, so how many books have you, um, tell the listeners, Beachy, how many books have you written? Six, six books actually, which is crazy to me <laughs> that's yeah. a lot more than I, I i never like put it in number for my i know i know when people ask me they said how many books have you written and i sound so unprofessional because you know and that's my job part of my job and i said i don't know actually hold on let me count yeah i have to and, count yeah <laughs> because when you put it in numbers it makes absolutely no sense yeah yeah it's so strange because i just consider them like all yeah. part of like a I feel like you could just read them like, you know, mm. front to back and they would all read as one book because I, I feel like they do have like a lot of unifying themes. Like I try to incorporate some playfulness, some humor. Um, I try to make them very music centric and I try to make them pretty positive because ultimately I try to be um, a relatively positive or cheery person. And I try to encourage others because um, I know how hard it can be to kind of keep a creative endeavor going, especially one where it's as esoteric as what I do, or even music can be relatively esoteric. And I try to live by the credo, support each other, because I believe it's really hard to be an artist, not just from you know a financial perspective, but just even from like getting inspiration, being able to move your art forward, wondering mm -hmm. whether or not you're just you know, spinning your wheels and not actually going anywhere with it. So I try to support a lot of artists and I try to do that through even my writing, where I try to support musicians and I'm like, job well done. I really love this work. And then if I don't really love it, I won't cover it. You know, there's people who are like, I want to write this really snarky review where I just cut this artist down to size. And I'm like, I don't really do that. There's times where I will not like art, but for the most part, I try to focus 
on it being positive. I try to keep that as the majority of my output, you know. So would you say, Beachy, that yours is the soul of an artist? I would, I would say so. I would say a lot of the work, I, I would say that I did always have this and I felt, I mean, there was work that I did prior to Beach Sloth. I didn't feel that it was as good, honestly. So I, I feel like that was the sort of trial run. But I would say it's always kind of been, been a compulsion of mine to write, put this stuff out, and then to also try to support other people within communities. Um, because I, a lot of the people I grew up with, I grew up in a relatively conservative part of New York City, which I think everyone assumes all of New York City is very liberal um, or mm -hmm. very um, supportive of artists. But there's certain parts of New York that are very, very conservative, and I happened to live in one. Um, fortunately, it's also accessible to get to other parts of New York City very easily. So I was able to find like the parts of New York City that I liked. So I went to them and I spent time there instead. So I think that has been a huge part of Beach Sloth has just been supporting others. And I've always tried to make that sort of like the main driving moment, the momentum of what I do. And I think that's why I've been able to do it as long as I have for almost for about a decade now. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, you write beautifully. You know, I've read your work and it is, it is, as I said to you, you know, before, in a way, it's like a symphony because every single piece of your work is like an art form and your words are simply beautiful. What inspires you how you know every person has something whether it be through sadness suffering joy artists all share that in a way they walk that fine line what is it that inspires you Beachy? how did you manage to encapsulate so much feeling into the words that you write the way i feel about writing and I guess about what I cover in general art is I try to look for those small moments, the moments that really matter. I think a lot of what literature and what music tries to do is they try to go for these grandiose statements or a lot of them do. And mm -hmm. I don't think that was something that was ever going to work for me. Um, I've lived a pretty, pretty conventional life in some ways um, and I always felt that it was like these small moments that mattered the most to me, where I was able to kind of find like a moment of clarity while traveling, and I've traveled quite a bit. Um, and I remember even specific moments from traveling because they'll just be like an intersection of colors that is absolutely beautiful. I remember just on a train from New York to um, Boston, that I took because it was cheaper than flying. And there was an intersection of like these different colors coming off of the water of Long Island Sound and uh, the sunlight hitting. And it gave me this beautiful like blue purple and it was so gorgeous. And I feel that it's like these small moments that I care the most about. There's a book that I also kind of consider sort of a Bible or mm. the equivalent of like what inspired the second part of Beach Sloth. Like, um, because I would say there's an Eric Baker in his own words in a Marks My Friend 
sort of segment of Beach Sloth. And that was, and those are, I think, more personal books of mine, or mm. maybe slightly funnier books of mine, I'd say. Um, and those are based off of the work of Nicholas Baker. And he had uh, this book called uh, The Mezzanine. And all The Mezzanine is about is a guy eating a cookie, drinking um, some milk, and going up an escalator. It captures the whole 15 minutes of this person's life. And through this simple action, he creates an entire story out of the meaning of each item, the meaning of his tie, and how that relates to the warm relationship he had with his father. And that book to me was so... <sighs> I don't want to say it was life-changing, but it kind of made, it kind of like was affirmational in that mm. this book captured such a small moment. And it's the small moment that kind of made a person feel at peace with themselves, with the relationships to their family, friends, loved ones. And it was such a beautiful book. And I think it's those small moments that really kind of define a life more than a moment of like, I saved the ship from that raging storm. Like that's probably... Yeah not anything I'm going to do in my life. <laughs> like more likely I'll have a moment where, you know, I'm taking care of a family member or a friend and like, they're like, I really needed you to come by or I really need to hear that. And I think that's kind of the moments that people have more in their lives where you just kind of reassure someone or comfort someone or there for someone during like a dark moment in their life. And like, they're like, you were there for me in that moment. And I think that's what I kind of live for. I think that's what all people should live for, where you like know you had a moment where you made a positive impact on someone's life when maybe they were feeling a little lonely. That is so true, because in the end, you know, when you look back on life, even on our lives that we look back on now, it is all a series of moments that become memories. And, you know, we can literally live a lifetime in a moment, whether it is, as you say, with regards to that book of looking at that person and looking at the tie and what does that tie mean? Or you can actually transport yourself into that person's life. And that, I think, is the beauty of human interaction, that we are somehow able to connect on a far deeper level then possibly even physically on, on something that is not actually seen with the eyes, but you can actually feel with another person. Exactly. I think there's like a lot of different moments that kind of point to that, where you are there with a person and you're there in the middle of something that's, you know, relatively rough or difficult that's happening. And you can kind of say like, Hey, what do you need help with? What can I help you with? Mm. And I think Beach Sloth started at least in part as a way to like help individuals sort of find some sort of comfort or realization that they were part of something much larger. I think with the alt-lit community, and I'm sorry that that community, there were elements of it that worked and I'm still friends with a lot of people there, but there were elements of it that but overall, I think it was a force of good. And when I wrote about people's different books or pieces of literature or art, and I mentioned them on my blog, it not only like made them feel good about themselves, but they would go to my blog and they'd be like, hmm, this other person 
also lives in my city or right nearby. We should meet up. And like, there were a number of people who married, you know, from this one single art scene where they just found each other. And in some cases, they were thousands of miles away. I'm going to uh, actually mention two people specifically who I feel don't really get enough uh, press, and I think they're lovely people. Um, Carolyn DiCarlo, who is located in the Washington, D.C. area, Mm -hmm. and Jackson Newland, who is located in the New Zealand area. Uh, my apologies, I forget what part of New Zealand. And they met online and they married and live together now. And I'm like, oh my you goodness. Not, you could not be, you could not find two points on earth that were further away from each other than New <laughs> Zealand and Washington, D.C. Like that is literally the furthest. That's, lit That's the, literally, literally <laughs> the other side of the globe. And where do they live now? So she moved to New Zealand and, um, she doesn't regret that at all because she absolutely loves Jackson and Jackson absolutely loves her. And then um, New Zealand's also just a fantastic place. I haven't visited there, though I have lots of friends who live there. And um, uh, they are actually starting a small um, bookstore um, in their town. I apologize. I should have had more notes about where they where it's being created. <laughs> but um they're creating a bookstore there and there's a very vibrant art scene. And I asked them, why is there such a vibrant art scene in New Zealand? And they're like, well, cause I mean, we're not near anything. Like everything is remote in, in relation to New Zealand. We're a very isolated little country here. Um, we don't even have Walmart because the logistics of it would be so expensive that the profit that they would get would not be worth it. So they don't actually even have chain stores there. They're like, not worth it, not worth our time, sorry. You can take care of it on your own. And they're like, we're fine with that. We don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> but you've actually been there, have you, Beachy? I have not. I think I, oh, I've okay. badly wanted to go. It's hmm. definitely on my list of places to go. And I, I feel like a very strong relationship to a lot of people who live and work there and operate like all sorts of fantastic things. And the art scene there is absolutely wonderful and I cannot recommend it enough. And the writers there are great. The musicians there are world-class and I, I just really wanna go so badly. And I hope after quarantine, after COVID passes that that will be one of the top priority places that I'll head off to. Um, but it's that sort of example of people who otherwise never would have met or never would have even realized the other existed, honestly. Yes, yes. Um, so I find that lovely. I find it wonderful that they can be on all these online communities. And even after the passing of the alt-lit online community, there's been new ones that have sprung up around Tumblr or Twitter or Instagram or a whole slew of other different, you know, devices or even podcasts, you know, to use you as an example that, um, you know, yes. there's kind of these communities that are created online. And I feel that with the quarantine happening, they've kind of gained a certain additional resonance. And I think that sort of inspired me to sort of work harder on Beach Sloth maybe the past few months because I work at home, I live at home, I only stay at home. So I need something else to do from home. So it's this, and I, I think lately the my writing has reflected that where 
I don't think I've ever been a bad writer, but I think like the past few months, I found particular inspiration from like more meditative elements. I've been buying actual physical books, and trying to read those and just been having a nice time to sort of nestled in my little uh, nest out here in, uh, in the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me a little bit, Beachy, how has it been for you to be inside? Now, is this something that you, is a tempo of life that you usually adopt uh, prior to all of this that's happened in the world? Or has this essentially been because of um, the virus, et cetera, and the lockdowns? That's a, that's a good question. It's, I would say both. I hate saying that. But um, <laughs> I actually am a bit of an outdoors person, so... My main hobbies that I um, that I really like to do are both outdoors. So biking, um, when I lived in Idaho, I used to be able to bike about 70, 80 miles a day. So I got very heavy into biking out there just because it was, it had a beautiful bike trail that was over a hundred miles long and um, swimming. So my swimming actually does inform beach sloth, hence the word beach. But um, I used to work as a lifeguard and as a swimming coach. So my fondness for swimming goes very deep. It was pretty much the first and only athletic activity I ever partook in, where I would basically swim. I competitively swam too. So I was a competitive swimmer and I miss swimming. It is such a joy to do because it feels like I'm in another atmosphere because the water is so heavy and the sound is muffled when you're deep in the water. And it's kind of wonderful. I absolutely love the experience. Um, since I live in California, though, um, I would either need to own a house to have a pool, which would be very expensive, or I would need to live near the water. And again, that would also be relatively expensive. I live a little more inland, so I'm not near any bodies of water. So not being able to swim the past few months has been a bit a bit of a challenge just because it's so much joy it brings me such happiness to do it every day um so i've been coping in other ways i have like a uh, i guess a stationary bike at home and i've been using that as a form of exercise so that's been like a nice coping mechanism and i've been reading a ton so i've been really kept, like for a while people kept sending me books i'm like i don't have the time and now I'm like, I have plenty of time. I can definitely do this. <laughs> Your yeah. book will be read. <laughs> like all of these books will be read. I'm going to read all of them. So I also have a pat. I also have a little balcony on my apartment. Mm -hmm. So I've been sitting outside and that's been surprisingly effective. And I also use my garage as kind of um, sort of a patio scenario too. So I've been making it work with the limited space I have. So I've still been outside plenty, but it's been outside on a balcony far away from everybody else and like keeping the six feet of distance and all that other good stuff. So it's been a bit of a challenge because I like being outdoors and I like hiking too. And um, um, at least out here, the hills are so steep that I would absolutely love climbing all of them and just hanging around because New York is very flat. So I, I always find any place that has hills, I always call them mountains. And people are like, they're not mountains. And I'm like, well, basically, you know, New York is just a big, depo a big deposit of sand. I mean, 
it's all flat. It's very, very flat. There's very little parts. There are a few parts of it that are hilly, but it's like 99% flat land. So I just get so thrilled whenever I see any sort of elevation and people look at me like I'm crazy and I'm like, oh, you don't understand. I love hills. They're so much fun. So. <laughs> these are the Alps. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, these are the, yeah, these are great. Yeah, this is yeah. a serious hike. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that a lot of people have been finding it extremely difficult. In a way, it's like a seclusion um, inside of their spaces. How have you managed to do that? What has helped you, Beachy? In a way, as we were talking earlier, stay sane. I've been listening to a whole lot of music and sort of revisiting a lot of albums um, I listened to when I was way younger to see how they held up. Sometimes, you know, when you listen to music you liked as a kid, you're like, oh man, that's a great album. But sometimes you listen to it and you're like, huh, I don't know really what I was thinking on that one. That was sort of a bit of a wash. Um, mm. There's a few albums I've been actually meditating to. Um, there's one composer who I particularly am fond of and have always loved her work, Elaine Rattigue. And she kind of creates these beautiful, very slow moving drones that are heavily steeped in Buddhism. And mm -hmm. they're very meditative in that each piece is an hour long. So it's just an hour of this very slow moving work. And it really forces you to be um, fully immersed in the self, to kind of go into this deep listening or this trance. Mm -hmm. And um, there's another band out of France and they call themselves France, which isn't, you know, terribly original, but the music they make. <laughs> they have this one piece called Du Den Hag Church that I think is recorded live, though I, I'm not certain. And it's, mm. this, it's this beautiful trance. It consists of drums, bass guitar, and the hurdy-gurdy. Now, the hurdy-gurdy is this, like, very obscure instrument that not a lot of people even play or know how to use, but it's the hurdy-gurdy that kind of like makes it this magical, puts you in this trance-like state because the way it kind of creates drone and the way that it sort of like takes over this entire space kind of like draws you into this very rich, dense world. And the rhythm section is so, it's just so subtle in how it changes tempo and pitch. And it's very slight, but it's absolutely entrancing. And I've been listening to that a lot in the mornings when I want to do my daily meditations. And that's been helping with the quarantine. And um, also drinking coffee. I've really become a fond drinker of coffee. And making it in the morning, I grind the beans and I make mm -hmm. the coffee. And it tends to be kind of like a nice ritual. And I also try to read in the morning. So I have kind of a whole like little habit that I've formed in the morning of like doing certain rituals. And that's that's actually been really helpful in the quarantine and um, just keeping in touch with people. I feel like I've re-sparked so many friendships during quarantine where I've like called people or reached out to them. And I would say that's probably the best thing you could do in quarantine is like reach out to friends you haven't spoken to for a while. And I found that to be an incredibly rewarding experience up to the point where I have Zoom meetings with friends I hadn't spoken to in five years. And I'm like, oh, I missed you so much. Why didn't I keep in touch? And you know, life happens, but life's not happening right now. So now's a good time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, 
there's a lot to be said for that, isn't there, Beachy, yeah. with regards to that. I mean, life actually is happening, but it in is. a completely different way than we are used to. And meditation, that's something I wanted to actually ask you about. Is that something mm -hmm. that you have been practicing um, for a while now? Yeah, so I've actually always meditated, like my entire life, where I would try to like, and it wouldn't be like, you know, I wouldn't meditate for like six hours a day, you know, I, I have a job and everything, but um, just to do it for like maybe about like an hour, like 40 minutes to an hour of pure meditation, deep listening of the sounds around me. And I found a lot of that to be very beautiful. And that's something I've done since I actually since I was a child and I didn't even know what Buddhism or meditation was, it was just like a way of calming myself after a day because mm. I'm a very um, outgoing person. But additionally, when I'm done dealing with people, I need like sort of a moment to recharge. And I yeah. consider meditation to be a nice way of kind of like going through my interactions throughout the day, like what worked, what didn't. <laughs> How did I make someone's life better? What could have I? What could I be doing differently to sort of help someone who seems to be going through a hard time? And I've been doing that since I was a child. And I think it wasn't until I got to college where someone was like, "Oh, cool, you meditate. You must really like Buddhism." And I'm like, "I don't know what that is. So I just do this. This is just the thing I do." <laughs> and is that something that you've done as a child? I did meditation as a child. I was always like very interested in like kind of having my moment of the day where I would try to piece together what happened during the rest of the day. And I tried to like focus on myself, try to focus on what it was I was trying to achieve in my life. That's actually quite remarkable because I think these moments, we all need them as you know, human beings, we need these times of reflection. And it's not just once a week. I think it's daily. We have yeah. to give respect to who we are, you know, to our being, to be able to have that moment where we don't want to be friendly anymore. We don't want to see anyone. And it's not because we're being rude or whatever. It's we need that time in a way to regenerate our energy, isn't it? Exactly. I wouldn't even say that's an introspective sort of thing. I'd say that's a healthy thing for someone, whether or not they're an outgoing person or whether mm. a little shy. I think just in general, it's good to kind of reflect upon like, how are we living our lives? Are we doing the best we can? Are we helping others? And I also feel too that there's this obsession with productivity for a person where a person constantly has to be churning out things, you know, you yeah. have to get this accomplished to that accomplished. And I guess I'm a beach sloth because I go slow. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's part of my overall ethos, but I think there's like something to be said for not being productive, for sort of taking a moment to reflect, to see like, what is it we're doing well? What is it we're doing poorly? What could we be doing better? Like, what did you enjoy in the day? What brought you joy? And I think that's something we always forget. We always are like, oh man, that person irritated me or that thing irritated me. But we're not, we're less like, what was a beautiful moment of my day? What was a part of the yeah. day that was like absolutely lovely and you would not trade it for anything? And I think I've had those moments where I've like 
literally watched like a train pass and I'm like, well, that was beautiful. And, and someone else is like, we were waiting for five whole minutes for that train to pass before we could move. And I'm like, but isn't it gorgeous? Just like seeing how long it is and all those people going to their jobs or going to different places. Um, it's a matter of perspective, I suppose. And yeah. <laughs> where we're standing, you know, what is that famous saying? I don't know who it was that said it, um, but we see things as we are and not as they are. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you know who said that? It's a famous quote, but... Um, I don't actually. I actually know the quote, but I, the, the, the yeah. name of the person who says it alludes me right now. Yeah, but it's like that, isn't it? It's like you could stand there for five minutes and appreciate the joy that all these people, the passengers on the train, were traveling somewhere in their life. And others are just waiting, you know, and getting annoyed at the fact that the train was late. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I only met, and I'm glad we're talking about trains just because I've always lived near them. <laughs> 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 That's always been part of my life. Um, there's a beautiful German short story and I can't remember who wrote it but it was um so lovely it was this um about a father a father and son and the father was just like totally burnt out of work every single day and every single day he like passed uh he passed you know all these stations and stuff he passed every station and no one ever waved to him and he was just really sad he's like no one ever takes the thrill of like appreciating that moment of a train passing. And the mother told her son like, you know, when you go out and you see the train pass, just wave to your father. And then, um, so the son did it and then the father waved back and then the father's whole day was better because he knew he was loved by his son and his son took the moment to do that small gesture. And I, I, I really love that story. I really wish I remember who wrote it I, I feel like it was a famous German author too. So I feel like, I'm really sorry that I can't remember his name, but I, I think it's these small moments that like just give life so much value and meaning. Yes. And I, I think they pass by really quickly without us noticing. Um, and I think we're always like looking for a grandiose or magnificent statement to hit us. And, it do, and life doesn't usually work out that way. It's usually a series of small incremental steps and then there's occasional moments of beauty that may or may not be attached to anything else, but they're really gorgeous when they do happen. And I try to capture that with my writing where there's these small moments of beauty, or these small moments of reflection that really just make it worth it for me more than any like, you know, me moving like to five or six different states. Like I, I couldn't care less. I was on a plane for all of them. They weren't like, that wasn't a big deal. The big deal was like, you know, when I was just like sitting in the middle of a field or like looking at a whole gorge in Idaho. And I was like, wow, this is a magnificent waterfall. And I was just like, I think I sat there for like 10 minutes just watching it. And like somebody else just like zoomed past really quick. And I'm like, man, this is so beautiful. How could you not like take a moment to look at like the glory of this land? And it was so gorgeous. And I don't know, I just try to take moments out of my day to like reflect or have like those moments of peace. That's a beautiful way to live. Have you always lived like this, Beachy? Um, I, think I think it's aspirational. So mm -hmm. 
I've aspired to doing that sort of thing. Sometimes I succeed. I feel like 2020 sort of forced me to really succeed with it. Um, I think 2020 has been a hard year for many people for a whole slew of reasons. And I think, honestly, I've been kind of reflecting and trying to go back to a simpler way that I used to live where I would take these moments of reflection. And I think I've done a really good job of that this year where I've kind of like returned to my roots to some degree. Cause for a while I was very obsessed with like, oh, I need to make enough money to live. I need this or that thing. And everything that I needed, I have now. So I'm very pleased. I'm very comfortable at this specific moment in my life. And I feel very much loved and very much at peace with it. So. I feel like 2020 sort of forced me to get to this point and it was like a hard slog. Like I definitely was depressed during a part of this year, but I mean, I, I don't think anyone had a great 2020. I don't think anyone on earth is saying like 2020 was the best year of my life. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think 2020 was the year that kind of forced us to look inward at ourselves and how were we living our life. And I think it's been a difficult year for that reason in that we usually have all these distractions, you know? We usually have all these movies or we have all these events and they kind of take us out of ourselves. You know, they kind of force us to be in a celebration or to be at work or to be doing something. But now we're working from home or we're just at home period. And we have to kind of confront what it is it what is it that we're doing with our lives. So I think I've kind of confronted that and I've kind of found peace with it. And I've kind of been writing a lot more the past few months. And I think the writing's been better. Um, and I think I've been happier with it. And I've been happier as a person, like maybe since August or September, like it started, like, like I've noticed like an improvement in my mood and I've been like in a really good headspace. Um, it's been a bit of a journey to get there, but I think it's been worth it. And I hope that a lot of other people are taking 2020 as a time to kind of reflect, create art, create books. I've said it a number of times to some of my friends who write music or who write books, and I'm like, the next decade is going to have so much great work that came out of this year, out of all this struggle, that there will be some triumphs, yeah. that there will be a moment of just like, wow, this was a very productive year. Mm. You know, you talk about depression, and that's yes. something that has been sort of foremost with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And these years that have gone past, you know, maybe, I don't know, it's something that has affected people always, I think, Peachy, but more so mm -hmm. in the past few years, and especially everything that comes, you know, at the forefront of such a year as 2020. Mm -hmm. Um the good things, the bad things, and the things in, in between, so to speak. What is your view um, about depression? Because I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit because so many people out there suffer as a result of it. What do you feel um, predominantly affects the mood and the state of being of people in general that leads them to this state, in effect? I've lived with depression my whole life. I didn't even know I was depressed in, until I started like 
forming closer relationships with people. So I noticed the depression was affecting me in that I was kind of having all of these surface level relationships with people. And then I started developing deeper relationships with people. Like I'd see their families, I'd meet their dads and their moms and their siblings. And I started, and people started telling me, hey, you seem kind of down or you seem out of it. And I guess since I had had surface level relationships for so much of my life, I guess I didn't notice that it was affecting me. So I'd say the first thing is like, you need to acknowledge that you're, that you have this problem, that it's a serious issue. And then you have to take steps to resolve it. Taking mm -hmm. steps to resolve it is really, really hard. And it was really, really hard for me. Um, I started with therapy and that was helpful, but that wasn't the full that wasn't the full spectrum of what I needed. So I started taking medication and there should be absolutely no stigma with taking medication for depression. That should be totally normal and that's a totally normal thing. Some people have chemical imbalances in their brains, I do. And it takes a few different medications to know which particular circuits, which particular paths are best for you. Um, so I I've been on a number of medications the past few years. That also explains why it took four years to write like the last book I wrote, which came out last year. Like I was in a funk, you know, and I didn't know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I started getting out of it because I was starting to take medication that treated it. I was starting to deal with seasonal depression and I was trying to figure out ways to deal with it, which was like exercise, medications, therapy, and just talking to other people about it. Like you shouldn't feel ashamed that you're depressed. Like that's a totally normal way to feel and that's nothing you should be ashamed by that's something that you know we have lots of treatments for and it might be something you're going to live with for the rest of your life it doesn't it doesn't get cured you know you can medicate it you can therapy it but you're still going to have it so um it's something that you'll have to live with but it's something that you can also find peace with and I think just like this year really, really forced me to deal with it because like I'm living with myself. <laughs> so I have yeah. to like mm -hmm. myself and be on good terms with myself. So mm -hmm. I was kind of forced to do this. Um, I had been working on it for a few years, but I feel like this year, well, this year I was fortunate enough where I took like kind of the right cocktail of medications and that's been helpful. And I think also living in California, a place where there's a lot more sunlight than any other place I've ever lived, maybe excluding uh, Rwanda, um, that's, you know, which was very sunny. Um, excluding that, you know, I, this has been the best winter I've ever had. Um, I've been doing really well. I've been taking lots of medication. I've been very productive and prolific with my writing. And um, I think it's been really great. I think it's good to develop deep relations, relationships with people because it's good to know um, that someone else out there cares. I think the reason I was afraid to kind of form long-term lasting relationships with people is because I was afraid they were gonna find me to be too much of a bummer or a pessimist or kind of depressed. And then, uh, but it didn't occur to me that like, hey, I could just try to resolve this depression or figure out ways of taking care of it. I, I thought it was something that was just going to permanently be with me or that I would never be able to treat. That's not mm. the case at all. We live in a world where, you know, it's infinitely treatable. You can definitely find ways to, um, you know, work through it to try to get it resolved as best as possible. 
it's a difficult thing. And I, I think it's been difficult for me, um, but and I know it's been difficult for some of my friends, but I think just reaching out to people, telling people like, hey, I have this issue, you know, and if people are having a tough time with things, you know, I tell them to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my friend Olivia, Lily and I are working on this film, The Snow People, in part to kind of help people realize that, you know, you can form these great, very positive communities and there's going to be toxic communities you're going to be a part of. But then after, at the, after the ashes of that, you know, you can, what can rise up is like a much better, healthier community that's better able to police itself, that's able to be more inclusive of people of different genders, beliefs, races, et cetera, you know, and that's able to overall be a more inclusive place. So I, I think depression kind of, I think a lot of people are dealing with it right now just because there's been so many distractions and ways to like not deal with it. But I think dealing mm-hmm. with it is a worthwhile endeavor. And as someone who's suffered very heavily from it for their whole life, really, like it's good to form relationships with people. It's good to get it treated and people do care. There are people out there who will always love you and appreciate who you are, no matter what. These are good um, words of advice, Beachy, because especially in these times now, I feel that it's a time really greatly for awakening and for sharing. You know, and it's like if you've got a stone in your shoe and your friend Mm -hmm. says, I've got a stone in my shoe, you feel more comfortable to say, well, actually, you know what? I've actually got a stone in my shoe. What do you do about it? <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's a sort of, you know, um, I suppose admitting that we are fragile beings in many ways, but also there is this huge inner strength that we can tap into. And when we help others like yourself, you know, that helps so many people, I think there's a purpose of life, isn't there? When I certainly feel it in my life, For me, my purpose, I feel, is to help other people as much as I can in my, you know, limiting way. But there is a a whole thing that if we feel that we're part of each other, I think that helps a lot. Depression really um, is also, I think, one of those things that if you're not doing what you're supposed to be, what your calling is, what your vocation is in life, I think it can really make the symptoms worse. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it's very hard to find out what one's purpose is. I mean, yeah. I, I know when I talk to some of my childhood friends or people who've known me for a really long time, um, what they would say is that I didn't actually bloom or didn't actually find my purpose in life um, until like high school. So I. I grew up as like a child who knew he liked certain things, but didn't know like what to make of it. Like I knew I liked music and I knew I liked writing, but I was like, what do I make of this? It didn't ever occur to me until like I was in my teens where I was like, oh, I could write. I could go to concerts. Like, you know, it's, and then it took even longer for me to realize what my career purpose was, you know, where I had a few careers that were really rough. And I think everyone's had like that bad job where you're like, whoa, why did I put up with that for like however yeah, long Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where you're like, that boss was really abusive. I don't know, I think I'm better than that, you know? But you take it because like, you know, you need money, you want to move out of your 
parents' house, you want to support yourself, be like a fully actualized person. But even after you have a job, that doesn't mean you have a career or you, or you have a purpose. That takes yeah. longer. And I'd say the interesting thing about the project, this Beach Sloth project, is it did actually give me purpose. So before Beach Sloth, I was working in the same job for like five or over five years, like doing the exact same thing every single day, living in the exact same place, eating virtually the exact same food. And it was really strange because as soon as I started Beach Sloth, like, my life changed very dramatically. It was like sort of like an awakening that like, I'm like, I need to go back to school. I need to finish up my degrees. I need to get a different career path and job. I need to figure out what it is I want to do with my life and what I can do to give my life purpose. And I think it's really funny to like sort of see how my writing has evolved, how my work has evolved, that like, I really was trying to discover myself and what my purpose and career was and how I was going to support and take care of other people. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And it was, it, it's really funny because like, I feel like if I didn't start the blog, I probably would have, I'd still be doing that exact same job I was doing then without any sort of like, you know, self-realization or actualization. It's kind of like going through the motions and kind of being stuck in a groove or a rut, depending on your perspective. Yeah, yeah. And is it something that you would really say to people is to follow that dream or to follow that feeling, that feeling of, you know, purpose? Because unless we have a purpose in this life, which we have, and unless we discover it, it's all pretty tasteless. It, it is. And those moments happen so randomly. Like yeah. I, I decided to start an entire blog and writing career for 10 years based off of like basically one meditative interaction I had on a beach on Long Island in like 2010. Like that all came from yeah. like one sit down with like a dear friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And you can have that moment. Like I remember when I was in London, I spoke to this um, Australian I met who was staying at the same hostel as me, Palmer's Lodge, and it's a really pretty place. And he was like, I was working the same job for 10 years in Australia. And then one day I decided I wanted to jump out of an airplane, you know, do some, you know, parachuting thing or whatever you call it. And then he's like, and then after I did that, I moved to London and I've lived here for five years and I would never go back. I love living here. I'm trying mm. to make a whole career out of living in London. And he was a teacher and he did, it was like a total like 180 of what, his, where his life was going, but he just felt in that one single moment of sitting on a porch in Australia, I think outside Sydney or something that he just decided he wanted to change his whole life. So I mean, I feel like it's these small moments where like you really need to pay attention. It's never going to be that obvious. Um, sometimes, it yeah. but like it's going to be a realization. And when you have that realization, you need to follow it because you, your life has purpose and maybe you're not following it at this exact moment, but you can. And there's no reason to not like sort of like grab that, grab that impulse and just go mm. with it. And I say that as someone who's now lived in six states, held multiple jobs, <laughs> written six books, lived, visited a dozen countries. So I've done a lot, 
since like that initial impulse to start a blog like it's really funny to me like my life was nowhere near this exciting before <laughs> <laughs> so really in a way you know when you start a project whatever it may be and it feels that it's sort of in a way it becomes part of you because that is you feel you i think we all know don't we when it feels right whether exactly. that be a job a relationship um i don't know an adventure we know inside of us when it you know it just clicks you know when that person is right you know when that friendship is right whatever it is and i think it's about like you said is about being aware of the moment because you do not know at any given time which moment can change your life if only we took the opportunity exactly exactly it's like mindful living yeah um and i think it's important to kind of pay attention to one's surroundings too um yeah. i'm reminded of this really uh interesting composer uh luke uh fieri and what he did was he basically did field recordings but he kind of manipulated them so you would pay like close attention to certain elements like if someone mm -hmm. was shouting someone else's name you'd notice that and i think sometimes we don't always pay attention to our surroundings and more importantly we don't always have love for our surroundings and i i think that's very a very important thing to have especially since you know whatever surrounding you're in currently, you might be there for a bit, you know, <laughs> we're, we're stuck in quarantine now, like the whole world together. And we're all in this together. So there's a togetherness in this isolation. So look around you, see like what is bringing you joy? What is bringing you happiness? And what's surrounding you? What's not? And then how to like, how can you make that better? How can you like, you know, kind of nestle in and snuggle into like kind of whatever is most comfortable for you? Like I even bought new blankets to like kind of like celebrate the fact I'm going to be quarantining. So I'm like literally wrapped up in like a quilt reading and writing and it's just been really, <laughs> really a joy. So I, I, I could not have made myself more comfortable right now. <laughs> well, you know, as I always say to myself and I, I, this is my sort of one of my mottos in life. I have a few, but as we spoke about earlier, you've got to do whatever makes you sane. Whatever keeps you walking that fine line, you've got to do it. Because even if it is buying the duvet or the blanket, I don't know, watching a film or whether it's, I don't know, eating cake or drinking tea, whatever it is, you know, give yourself that respect, enough respect to actually cherish yourself as a human being because i think we've forgotten how to do that i agree with that i think that like, a lot of times we're a little hard on ourselves and i think mm -hmm. we should be nicer to ourselves i mean we deserve some level of comfort you know when People talk about like, you know, the redistribution of wealth and they're like, this person's a socialist. How can they have a nice thing? I'm like, people deserve nice things. I, I don't think that should be like a crazy notion that people should be allowed like a life of comfort. You know, I also find it interesting, too, where they do studies on like humanity and how much free time we have. And there was one fascinating study where they were like. During the medieval times, um, people had so much free time, a lot more than they do now. And I'm like, that's crazy. We have all these 
devices and all these items that are supposedly making our lives like easier and supposed to give mm. us more free time. But it also feels like we're getting less and less free time. Like we're taking care of all of these devices and stuff. And it's really weird that that's kind of that, like someone in the medieval times who like, you know, we assume like did all this work taking care of the cow, the cattle or, you know, collecting crops, they had more free time than we did. And we don't collect crops or we don't hunt or any of these other things that yeah. we would supposedly think are time consuming. I mean, I yeah. think that's why I bought a few books for Christmas, this, mm -hmm. this, um, this Christmas break or this holiday break, whatever you might want to call it. Cause I'm like, I keep on like having to devote time to screens and such. And I really like kind of like just sitting down um, and reading a book and just having music on and that's it. And like everything else is taken care of or I shouldn't have to worry about anything else for like this hour or this two hour block. And it's really, it's really funny that like, you have to like deliberately almost plan that time kind of like, it's so strange that that's kind of what our life has turned into. I'm not against technology. I'm just saying we, uh, we should try to like carve out a little bit of time just purely for ourselves to reflect, to have some nice peace and quiet and maybe sort of like hark back to our earlier medieval selves. Like when yeah. they said, you know, uh, was it like idol, the devil, the devil makes idle hands or like the idle hands do the devil's work or something of that nature. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. That's what they say. And, and yeah. um, <laughs> idleness is the devil's office. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm like the only reason they had that phrase is because they had so much free time. You know, we don't have that. We literally could not do evil even if we tried, like, cause we already have it fully scheduled. So. <laughs> well, there's a lot to be said for freedom um, and to feel free to have that time and even if it's you know to listen to your favorite music as you said to drink coffee um yeah. you know or whatever it is we have got the time we do have the yeah. time it's what we choose to do with that time would you say exactly no i fully agree with that i think that that i think that there's a lot of time that we say like oh we have to be productive um or we have to be accomplishing this or that task. yeah you don't. Mm. You don't have to accomplish. I'm saying this as a sloth, of course, so obviously I'm biased towards some element of... Laziness. No, but I agree with you. I agree with you totally. I love sloths anyway. I, I mean, when I first saw them, I, I thought they were a little bit mythical. Um, and I thought, well, this would be rather nice to have as a pet, but you can't have them as a pet, can you? I don't think. Can you? No. No, I don't, no. I don't think you can. And oddly, yeah. I've never seen one in real life. And it's honestly like a serious goal of mine, which is really funny because I have this whole project devoted to them, yet I've never seen one in person. Oh, you and have to like, do it, Beachy. You I, have to do it. I definitely plan on doing it. Mm. Like there's this little Costa Rican sloth orphanage, and I'm totally obsessed with it obviously um and i want to go there and i would like want to hold a sloth and i want to just have a picture of myself holding a sloth and i think that's like one of my life goals i think that's right there on the bucket list and it's a tiny goal and i think most people would think that's a really silly goal but i absolutely love the creatures they're so wonderful no and i think they're beautiful actually they're really beautiful and actually yeah. um 
they've done so much so many studies on them and they apparently actually might have like a lot of anti uh antibiotic things that grow on them um like moss mm -hmm. and stuff and those could and those actually attribute to a lot of their diet and also to their extreme healthiness like sloths almost never get sick they're like super healthy creatures and they're like why these creatures are not like really doing much <laughs> like why wouldn't they be so healthy but they actually have like an incredible immune system and they've started being studied and they're like wow these guys could have like the answer for so many different like ailments that we're suffering from like they could have the answer to like you know how we could possibly cure cancer or heart disease yeah. so they're mm -hmm. studying them because they're like why are they so healthy these are lazy creatures but like you know maybe we could learn something from like the the gentleness and the low-key spirit of them i don't know <laughs> i think they're beautiful and have you seen the baby ones they're so cute i love the baby ones oh. yeah. I love everything about them. They're like my yeah. favorite creature of all time. And <laughs> my fun, and I started it out almost as a joke calling myself beach sloth. But as I've like done it for so long, I'm like, I really do admire them as creatures. They're just such lovely animals. They say that all of us have um, our animal guide, I suppose, something that we <laughs> feel, um, I don't know, an affinity with. And Definitely. I mean, when I saw the baby sloth, I thought, oh, my goodness, can you get these creatures as pets? Because, <laughs> you know, they're just so remarkable. They're so cute and they're yeah. so lovely and they're so gentle and they're really kind. They're like, yeah. I mean, I guess they have to be that they, they couldn't be jerks because like, you know, they're at a bit of a disadvantage how slow they move. Oh. And they're actually fantastic swimmers. So they're really strong swimmers. Really? So. Yeah, I like uh, like they're surprise they're surprisingly strong as swimmers. They have like they're not fast, but they have really strong stro strokes. So they like actually do like kind of like um sort of like a doggy paddle breaststroke sort of scenario. So again, I used to be a lifeguard, so I vaguely am aware of like what the stroke looked like when they were doing it. I'm like that's pretty impressive for a creature that's like not known for being muscular. <laughs> Oh, they are too cute. And that's definitely something that you need to um, go and do, Beachy. You have to meet a sloth. I think that's my life. I think that's one of my, that's definitely one of my bucket lists. Very yeah, nice. it has to be up there. It has <laughs> to be. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I love them. And when I, As I said to you, when I first saw one, I was young. And I remember thinking, are these creatures real? Because somehow... There's something about their movement, even, that doesn't even seem real. It's sort of a little bit sort of fairy tale like. Yeah, it's they have such like slow, deliberate pacing. Mm. And it's just kind of like remarkable. Like they they seem like very methodical, reflective creatures, or at least that's mm -hmm. how I assume they are. Like they're always presented as kind of like this Zen creature. And I'm like, they yeah. are in a way because they have really found a nice niche for themselves in being this remarkably slow for this long. And I also mm -hmm. find it like very funny that there used to be a giant sloth out in the Caribbean and they were like, like the size of a rhinoceros and they were just really? giant sloths. And I, they went extinct, I think. I don't think it was human interaction. I think they just like passed on or the environment changed. So. 
but they were like these giant sloths that were like the size of rhinos and they found fossils of them. And I'm like, that's remarkable that they were that big. And they're like, don't worry, they were also slow then. And I'm like, wow, good on them. You know, solid. <laughs> solid they always, their face is so interesting though, isn't it? Because it looks like there's so much that they would want to say, but they just can't be bothered really. Yeah, they're like they're like always like in a state of curiosity, mm. like sort of mm. like sort of like staring you down or like trying to analyze what it is you're thinking. Like yeah. they're kind of yeah. like they're very like beautiful, and I, I I really am glad that I picked them out of all the creatures I could have picked for yeah. um, for a creature to be obsessed with. And I, <laughs> I I actually have bought like little teddy bear sloths and stuff. So. Oh, so do you? Okay. Yeah, okay. I have a little teddy bear sloth that's right nearby, and he's and he's so cute. I, Does I he have him. a name? No, no. They I don't name any of them. They're just like little. I have multiple stuffed animal sloths, and I think people just gave them to me as like sort of a joke. But I've grown quite <laughs> fond of them, and I just have them around. And they're like your little little surrogate pets. Yeah, they're like my. Well, I do have two cats. Um, oh, do you? What sort of cats do you have? Um, I have one that is this. Um, sort of like a Persian cat and she's a big, mm -hmm. she's a black cat who is a tomcat and she was originally a stray. So she has a broken tail, unfortunately, poor little kitty. Aww. And part of her ear got bitten off. So she's a, little, she's a little bit rough for the wear, but she's literally the kindest cat ever. And she can jump crazy heights. She's just so athletic. She's very stately. She's a very regal, fancy cat. Um, and then the second cat, I've named him GS12 because that's a federal pay grade that I want to achieve at one point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not there yet. He's actually ranks higher than I do in the federal pay grade system. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that many years of experience of work experience, but um, he's a clown. I had him since he was just a little kid. So he's been with me the whole time. She, I don't know how old she is quite because I, I didn't have her. Um, I, I adopted her from a um, shelter. But he, oh, I had yeah. since a kitten. And he's pretty much developed into this like clownish, buffoonish cat. He's not very athletic even remotely, but he's really affectionate, very lovey, and has almost no hair. He kind of looks like a little miniature white Siberian tiger. So he kind of looks like a miniature version of that, but like very lazy and kind of looks a little meerkatish because he's very, very long. He's like a long cat. Oh, are they allowed out? Are they house cats or are they, can they roam outside? So she, in theory, could roam outside. She chooses not to. Um, and he absolutely has no inclination to ever go outside. Like you could leave the door open for like three hours and he would just stay asleep like right next to it. Like he absolutely hates the outdoors. He wants absolutely nothing to do with it. He doesn't want to hunt. He just wants to like sleep on couches and beds and like <laughs> that's it. He has, he's like the least ambitious of cats and they're not even known for ambition to begin with. So he's particularly like loving and um, a lot of my Instagram lately, since I've, since I am in quarantine, I'm like, what can my Instagram be about? So it's been like 99% cats at this point. I'm it's like, cats. Yeah, it's cats. I don't have any, I'm not going anywhere doing anything. I'm writing. I'm hoping to have another book out at some point. That'd be really nice. I want to write a book about California because I, I, 
I feel very much at home here, even though I've only lived here for a short period of time. But um, and where can people find your books, um, BT? Um, probably the Dostoevsky wannabe press site um, or uh -huh. Amazon. It's usually Dostoevsky wannabe. Um, they're really good at keeping everything in print. Um, they're my, the other ones are, you could find them online. I think one or two of them are out of print, so I should probably speak to a press and take care of that issue. Because um, which ones are in print? Um, the last two marks, my friend Eric Baker in his own words, that one's in print. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, that should be on Amazon. And then the first, and then it would be great if you can actually find that online. Beach, sloths, collected thoughts you can find online. I want so you to have YouTube. a website. You have a website, don't I you? I have a website, yeah. And I guess you could order any of them from me. Um, yeah, and what, what's the website address? Where can people uh, get hold of you? Sure, that would be beachsloth.com. And it's a really cute little website. Um, it was designed by someone who's very dear to me. And they put it all in pink, which I absolutely love. And it's really cute. It has lots of sloths. So okay. you can order all of those books. You could order them all from me. I have plenty of copies. Um, okay, so if people can get in contact with you and um, you can send them the books or if they prefer, they can do it through Amazon or, you know, some, the ones which are still in print. Exactly. Yeah, okay. so I'm very, I'm very accessible. Anytime anyone reaches out to me, I get back to them very quickly. I'm very good about that. Oh, good. That, that, that's a rarity, actually, in this day and age. So that, that's very good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite unusual. Yeah, I, is, I do have some it? writer friends where I write them and then I'm like, I'm not going to hear from them for about two weeks. And that's fine. Like, I, I try to be pretty responsive just as a general rule of thumb. That's just kind of how I've always run the specific site. Um, yeah. I might not get back to everybody as quickly as I'd like. Um, I try to, I'm trying to be better about it though. And since I don't have anywhere to go, um, maybe the beach sloth thing has sort of taken off. Um, yeah. And I, I have great love for my surroundings currently. So if you're in the Bay area and the quarantine ends, I'm sure I'll be doing some nice readings in San Francisco or Oakland. Yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. Wow, imagine that. You're all the way there and I'm all the way here. It's it's remarkable, <laughs> isn't it? I just yes. find that fascinating always. I think, my goodness, all these people on the other side of the planet and here we are. It's amazing. It's really lovely. And I, I yeah. set up Beach Law specifically for that, just so I could reach out to people wherever oh. they might have been located. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's been a pleasure, Beachy, really. And you are really a fountain of wisdom. There's so many things that we could talk about for hours, I'm sure. And I'm very, very grateful for you coming on, I have to say. And as we reach the end of the episode, I always ask my guests this, is that what sort of words of wisdom would you give things that have helped you in your life in a sort of few lines, something that people can remain hopeful about life in these times? That is a fantastic question, especially given the current circumstance of the world. 
I would say the most important thing that I live by is support each other. So there's so much that you could do that would be snarky online. And that usually does get quite a bit of hits. But I'm, I never really created Beach Sloth as to be something that was like purely like a click collector. But I just legitimately and from my heart wanted to support people. And I've always done that. Um, I'd say reach out to people, people you haven't spoken to for a while. I think there's no better time to do it than now. because so I think a lot of people would really appreciate it. And it's really good to always be in contact with someone. And then yeah. I would say, try to find like the joy in the small moments of life. And the more I've done that, the happier I've been. So when I first you know, started my life, I was always like, oh man, there's going to be some great moment that's going to change my life. And there hasn't been, there, they've been small incremental changes. And there's been little moments of clarity that have kind of shaped what I've done and how I've been. And um, yeah, so I'd say those two things, support each other and look for the joy in the small moments of life, because those are the ones that will truly change your life. And those are the ones you should truly cherish. Beautiful. It feels good to hear you say that, you know, there is a certain, you know, positivity about it and a certain life force that when you hear such words, it reignites your passion for life again, you know, to keep wanting to move on and to prosper. And I don't mean just materially, I'm talking about, mm -hmm. you know, as a person. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And um, I wish you all the very best, always. And do come again and share some of your stories with us. Will do, most certainly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what time is it there where you are in San Francisco? Uh, it is 9.44. So going to be you breakfast know, to, time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I have to say to the listeners, Beachy got up especially to do this <laughs> podcast so I'm very <laughs> grateful that you got up at, sort of at the crack of dawn to do it um but it's been a pleasure thank you so much Beachy likewise oh okay then take care all right you as well okay bye bye-bye Beach Sloth what a fascinating person he is indeed we are all a mystery waiting to be found. That's for sure. Thank you so much in joining me today. And thank you for listening to all of the podcasts. I am so very grateful to you all. Wishing you beautiful moments, lots of love. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovik.co.uk.